Well, good morning, everyone, and we're continuing our road through Romans, concluding chapter 15 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, chapter 15, and we're going to begin soon at verse 22, I think it is. The title for this morning's message is When Plans Do Not Go Our Way. We're talking about our plans that we might have in our journey with Christ Sometimes they don't go the way that we think they ought to go. And so we're going to be talking about the will of God and all that stuff that goes along with um, wondering what's happening when our journey doesn't go as planned. Just a reminder, we're in this transition from doctrine into personal. And so... Most of the book of Romans has been doctrine or instruction, teaching on us on what we can learn about who God is and who we are in Christ. So that's been the, that's really the whole point of doctrine. Another word is just teaching um, for the point of instruction. The reason I bring this up is because there is another verse that we're going to talk about today where people have turned that verse from a personal comment of Paul that really only relates to particular people, but they turn it into doctrine. And when you turn it into doctrine, the other, I guess, the word is consequence of that, is that doctrine relates to everyone. If there's instruction in God's word, it should relate to everyone. And there's a particular verse that I believe it's Paul's talking on a personal note, but some churches, some Christians have turned it into doctrine that relates to everyone. I'll get into that soon. So please note the transition that we're in. And um, we start at verse 22. For this reason, for this reason, Paul says, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Before I answer that question, for what reason? Just notice that right there. Here we have the author of half, if not more than half, of the New Testament here being prevented to do something that he believes God wants him to do. Plans are not going his way. We find out in a couple of verses, if not the next, that he's been wanting to do this from wanting to see the church in Rome for a few years. But he's been prevented. So don't feel bad to start off with. If you have plans and you feel God's called you to do it, that you're being prevented from doing it. Be patient. Be patient. Just like I have to be patient right now with technology. For those online, my screen's just failed. Why does it always happen during the sermon? What's with that? Why, God? Have I done something wrong? <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that. I'm just. This is this is how we think, right? When we <laughs> when plans don't go our way. <laughs> but I just want to put that out there. I put that out there that even Paul the apostle probably the most spiritual human being that's been on the face of this earth, things didn't go the way planned. 
right? Now, for what reason? What reason has he been prevented? What's God been using, I guess? And we find in the couple of verses back, which we covered last week, um, I think this is the main reason. And thus, he says in verse 20, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So last week I talked about Paul's calling, who, or which is not necessarily our calling, by the way. Another example of turning personal into doctrine, to preach the gospel where it has never been heard before. Now, some people today are called to do that, but it's not for everyone. I would say even it's not for the majority of Christians um, today. Um, but we can't discount people who I've, I spoke to one the other month from a different church. He feels called to go to, I forget what country it was, um, but there's, there's a calling there. There's a, there's a, a desire. And he doesn't know where it's coming from, but he knows it's not going to happen straight away, but it's there. So it's, it's in the back of his mind. Um, somewhere where the, the gospel is not preached in their language. But this is what ho is holding Paul up. He's busy proclaiming the gospel. And so we're going to get into more details about him sharing where, where he's at with that. Because he says in verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. Why? Because he's fully preached the gospel. He's done his job. And since I have been longing for many years, here's the answer to how long he's been prevented from coming, to visit you. He's been doing it for a number of years, longing to visit the church in Rome. But now that there's no more place for me to work, and since I've been longing for many years, verse 24 says, I plan to do so. He's going to try again, planning. And so I've underlined planning before we go any further in that verse, is if you are in ministry, just because we have God's calling to do a particular thing, it doesn't mean that we don't have to plan. I think it's a bad idea that when we go into any sort of ministry, say, oh, the Lord will lead me on the, off the cuff and I'll just present myself. If we don't plan, I think that's a, that can result in an epic fail um, on our part. So I plan to do so. Paul planned. And he says, I plan to visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is the main reason I use modern day versions in a different kind. Um, this one I struggled with with particular, choosing a particular version. I wanted to choose one where there was a planning, but I underlined enjoyed your company for a while because that word or that phrase, when you look at the actual original language, doesn't actually mean that. It doesn't mean that we can enjoy each other's company. It means a bit more than that. It's getting to the point where we can actually benefit from one another's company, not just enjoyment. It's about edification. That's the main goal, to be edified by each other. And that's why we're here, are we not? Well, should be here, rather. Really, 
ultimately, I'll say, um, oh, we'll take some discussion, which is not just for a Sunday morning. But here, really primarily, to, uh, on what, from a pastor's perspective, is to renew our minds. And to re renewing our minds, which I believe needs to be done on at least a weekly basis, preferably a daily basis, and we do that through our private devotions and all that, but at minimum a weekly basis. And that's done through God's word. How we renew our minds through God's word. And so here we are opening it up. And the preaching of God's word is so important in the church today. Unfortunately, it's being turned from a Bible study into a storytelling time. And it's just sad um, that that's it's happening. So the enjoyment of your company is more of an edification. And going on to our second point of coming to church, edifying one another. As I mentioned, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, most of us come to church for our own benefit. So yeah, I think I can fit it in this weekend, not do anything. I need to hear God's word being preached. I need to be surrounded by some people that are like-minded, that it, I just need encouragement. But then, get to the next step where it should be, I'm coming to encourage each other. I'm on the lookout. Who needs encouragement? Who needs edifying? And so the focus comes off self and onto others. I wonder how many Christians today who are visiting church had that focus on others rather than self. Even in this room, I wonder. You know what? Usually, I guess, indicates where our mind is at in that respect, the fellowship time, the fellowship time. Because I'll tell you what, it's pretty much impossible for you to edify one another right now unless maybe your spouse is sitting next to you and you can nudge them if say, hey, that's for you. I don't know. But it's very hard to do it in a service. The fellowship time. The fellowship time is so important, not just for eating. The eating is just so we don't feel awkward just talking to each other it's, it is to fill our tummies as well, but still, it's, it's an important time for church. And I hope, you know, we can treat church as getting there early to edify one another and then staying late to edify one another, but not too late, okay, because I'm the last one to close usually. And Sandra, I'm sure Sandra will appreciate it as well. Okay, so we're talking about the will of God here. The saying, I hate this saying. The question is, can you fall in and out of the will of God? And so when things don't work out, bad stuff's happening, we wonder, are we out of God's will? Or when things are happening good, are we in God's will? This saying, I think, is so bad that for some reason it's become popular. And um, I'll say it depends on what your de definition of the will of God is. What's your definition of God's will? Because there's many facets. When we talk about the will of God, we can actually talk about something that's predetermined, something that God planned from the very start of before the foundations of the world, as we say. That could be God's will. For instance, we know from the writing of Peter that he planned before the foundation of the world that he was going to send Jesus Christ into the world to save us. He planned that. Why do you plan it? 
He's a God that knows everything. So he knew we would fail. He knew Adam and Eve would sin straight away. And people go on from there, but then why did he why did he keep the tree? Why did he make the tree there? And he had those questions, happy to answer them, but not this morning. Now, I think it's dangerous when we go f- further than that because some Christians, unfortunately, believe that absolutely everything that happens on this earth is planned, is predetermined. And I don't, I don't, um, oh, I can prove it. True. Um, soon, when we're talking about the other parts of will of God, but we know that can't be right. Um, so some Christians open publicly declare that, let's just say what's happening in Israel, Hamas killing um, innocent people, planning that attack. We can talk about all the attacks that have happened throughout history. We always bring up the Nazis in, in, in Germany, Second World War. Did God plan that? That would be ludicrous to think that he did. But unfortunately, some Christians believe it. Why? They say it gives God glory. And I don't, I don't believe that for a second. So only some things are predetermined, are planned. Another will of God it talks about God's desires. Desires that God has for his whole church, every single believer. For instance, I'll give you one reference, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. So what's the will of God? To give thanks. Now, I can plan, or sorry, I can prove that God did not plan for everyone to give thanks because we don't give thanks in everything. So if we don't give thanks in everything, what, did God determine me not to give thanks? Doesn't make sense, right? So when we talk about the will of God, there are desires that God has for us. It's God's will that we gather together, that we're part of a local church. That's God's will. We can say it's God's will that we read and study and meditate on our Bibles. It's God's will that we pray to him continuously about everything, present our supplications to him. It's God's will that we don't be anxious for anything. It's God's will that we love one another. It's God's will for a bunch of things. Does it always happen? No, but God desires it to happen. And then we talk about a calling. There's such a thing as a calling for God's will to happen. If you look at each of Paul's letters in the Bible, verse 1 usually states something about the will of God. It's the will of God that he was an apostle, for instance. Does that mean it's a will of God for all of us to be apostles? No. For Paul and for other individuals, God chose the 12 disciples in John 15. He says, I chose you, you didn't choose me. Lots of people think that I chose you for salvation, but that's not it at all. I chose you to be a disciple. I chose you to do this particular job. I believe God chose me. God called me. It's God's will for me to be pastor of this church. Individual calling. And then, from our perspective, when we talk about God's will, and I think Paul had it as well, which we'll look at later on in the passage, there's God's will as a part of hope. For instance, we use the saying, Lord, I'll be here at church, Lord willing. God willing, I'm going to be able to talk to that person about Christ. God willing, I'll be healthy for that particular opportunity. It's hope. So the will of God, being in and out of the will of God. 
when I think about someone saying, are you out of the will of God? I always think, what, am I out of God's care? Am I out of God's favour? Just think about that for a second. If we have been justified, if we have been made righteous, as that Sunday school video said, by faith, if we have been, as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, blessed with every spiritual blessing that there is, is there such a time when I can't be out of, I can be out of God's favor? I can be out of God's blessing. It doesn't make sense. No. And this is why I say our vision at Fraser Coast is to see every single believer, notice it's only for believers, this only relates to believers, actively living out God's design or God's will for their life. That's our vision. So that you would further comprehend the width and length and depth of the height of his love. And with our mission, our mission, if you don't know, is to exalt the name of Jesus every single morning that we're here, every single gathering that we have, but further than that is to equip the saints at Fraser Coast Baptist Church to do one thing, edify and support their neighbour into pursuing and actively living out God's design for their life. It's all about doing God's will. But does it always happen? No. If it doesn't happen, does that mean you're out of God's will? No. That's the point of this passage. But now... I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, he says in verse 25. He says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. The Greeks, this is the first time I've used the message, by the way. I thought the message did this great. The Greeks, all the way from the Macedonians in the north, in case you're wondering where Macedonia is again, to the Achaeans in the south, if you're wondering where they are, decided... They wanted to take up a collection for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. So read that very carefully, because this is the verse that we turn personal into doctrine. So they decided they wanted to take up a collection or an offering for the poor believers in Jerusalem. Read on. They were glad to do this. Why? Because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. Now read that again if that was too long. Because these two verses, some people have turned into doctrine that relates to all of us. Because what people are doing is they're reading this verse and they say, well, if they owe a debt to the Jews, then we owe a debt. And if they back then um, gave an offering for the poor believers, they helped them financially, then we should do that. It relates to every single person. So the question is today, should Christians give financially to Israel? Because this is, for some reason, a hot debate. In the Christian world. Some churches are adamant that they should give 10% of all their offering to Israel. And some Christians are just looking at some blogs, doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Not giving it to the local church, but giving it to Israel instead. 
My answer to that, and I'm, I'm confident to say it, is should be no. Not necessarily. You don't have to. The word should. Can Christians give financially to Israel? Of course. But should? Not necessarily. You don't have to. Now, do we support Israel? Well, of course. I don't want to be a, a nation, part of a nation who's cursed. Remember? The promise that God gave to, to um, Abraham? You know, I'll make you a father of many nations. Your nation will be what we say is, will be Israel, the promised land. And he says, what does he say? Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. I think we feel we should support Israel. doesn't necessarily mean we believe Israel is doing the right thing all the time. Of course not. Just read the Old Testament. They stuffed up tons of times. They rebelled a million times. They still supported though. So don't think that Israel is all goody tissues and, and doing the right thing necessarily, but we still support them as a nation. And I'm glad Australia is still doing that. Giving financially though, I think that should be dependent on whether God leads us individually and maybe corporately. Um, but uh, just putting it out there, God hasn't laid that on my heart at Grace First Baptist Church. Verse 28. Oh, I better say yet in case someone caused offence, uh, taken offence by that. Um, verse 28. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. That's what he's saying. Okay, so this is his task is to take the offering. Um, and I'm sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. That's interesting, the fullness of Christ's blessings, I think. I believe that just means richly bless in a mighty way to the fullness that there can be. In other words, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be profitable. There's going to be great edification that happens. So he's going to go, he's planning to go to Spain and visit you on the way. I just thought I'd give a map here. I don't know if you can read that too well, uh, but I tried to do letters. I'm um, just thinking of, you know, at the moment, Paul is uh, around, uh, where is it, here? Somewhere in Corinth. I think Corinth's in the south. I'm not sure, exactly sure. Um, so Corinth here. He's going to go back to Jerusalem, which is there. And then he's going to make the journey all the way to Spain. Now, have you been uh, given any hints on why Spain is on his agenda? Well, if you're thinking, and by the way, this is the church in Rome right here. It's quite a, quite a long journey, but he feels called to go to the extent or the boundary of Europe. I see. He wants to go and travel all the way to Europe. And what, from what my research has shown, Spain at that time was quite a prevalent place with important people. Um, Portugal wasn't around yet, so Spain covered Port Portugal. So it was the east, uh, directions, right? The westernmost point in um, Europe. So there you go. That's a long journey, and uh, he's looking to get to Rome on the way there. But it says, verse 30, to close his chapter, now I urge you, brethren, now it's, a, it's a, a strong encouragement 
I'm urging you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, or by his power, by the love of the Spirit, the Spirit within you, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So I've underlined strive because strive is an interesting word. It's actually the only time it's used in the New Testament. Some versions say like agonize, but I'm not convinced that that's true when you look at the original language and the definitions because there's multiple definitions for this type of word. At this stage in my study, I believe Paul's just saying, would you partner with me? Would you partner with me in prayer? What for? Well, the next verse reveals that. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. So he feels threatened with his life, which he should. Um, just not from past experience, but because we know what's going to happen soon. He does end up, by the way, if you don't know your Bibles, he does end up getting to visit Rome, okay? But uh, he does it while in chains. So he, he's in prison. And that's where he gets to write a few more of his letters. So um, that contribution. Secondly, not just that he kept safe, that, but that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. I just find that interesting. Like, do we, I don't know, do we, should we, do we need to pray that if we are giving an offering to someone that will be received favorably? Um, I've never heard of anyone not receiving money favorably, like being against it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just found that fascinating when I, oh, when I, when I read that. that I, I trust that just happened just then. Um, yeah, please share your insight to me after the service if you have ever had a time when maybe you rejected an offering favorably. Maybe it was an, an insult in some way. I don't know. As I said, I just find that very interesting. I don't think we'll ever reject an offering. Oh, I don't know. I'm thinking out loud here. No, no, it's, it's too. Okay, no, no, well, why this technology is taking its time? Um, I know some Christians are against receiving an offering if they know that the money has come from gambling, like the pokies or the lottery. I'm aware of that. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that yet, but um, I guess that they that the money may be favourably received. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll move on. What I, I just got my back up here. Um, I'll just do the next slide, uh, Karen, so you're aware. If you have your Bibles with you, it says, verse 32, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. Now, this is the verse that I think Paul is saying. This is a hope. This is a hope that he has. To me, he's saying, hey, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing, I come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. Now, how do I know? How do I know? Um, how do I know that this is hope? From Paul, 
This is exactly what we say. Lord willing, we'll be there on Sunday. How do I know that? How do we know that? Because it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So Paul didn't know that it wouldn't happen. Paul wasn't omniscient. Only the God that guides him is omniscient, guides us. Like, God, Lord willing, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. So it's okay to say, Lord willing, by the way. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's the end of chapter 15. He's the God of peace. Just interesting how we've been talking about that this morning during the service. The God of peace. I thought I'd, well, since I mentioned the vision and mission of the church, and by the way, I'm revisiting this on the last Sunday of January. That's when we have our church anniversary. On our church anniversary, we always do the vision Sunday for that year. So please put that in your diary, the last Sunday of January. I hope you can join us then. But our easy way to remember our values for so our mission and vision can be achieved is being a pal. And that pal is peace, acceptance, and love. We want to be a church where each gathering that we have, we can do two things with peace. Number one, we offer the opportunity for someone to know how to acquire the peace of God. Secondly, I'll say peace from God, peace with God. Secondly, we want each gathering that we have together, our values for each individual to express or to demonstrate the peace of God. Now that's a whole different thing. How well are we doing that as a church? When we're going through trials, are we, do we still have that peace that surpasses all understanding? We have access to it. Doesn't necessarily mean we live it out. So this is the application. This could be done in a number of ways. When plans do not go our way like it did for Paul, what does it mean for us? What can we do when our plans don't go our way? Or well, number one, ask the question, does it mean God is not at work? No, necessarily. God's always at work, particularly, particularly, assure, assuredly, if you are a Christian, God's always at work within you. He's not giving up on you. As we said, he doesn't leave you. He's always chastening us if it's, if it's needed. He's always counseling us. He's always comforting us. So God's always at work. Don't get into this trap of thinking, God's not doing, God's just left me. Number two, remain faithful to your calling. So if you have a calling for a particular ministry or a particular thing, even um, traveling somewhere or doing whatever in life, you know God's laid that on your heart but it's not happening, you're being prevented, remain faithful to it. Be patient, in other words. Or maybe you need to apply number three to your life right now. Maybe plans aren't going ahead as you expected. Things are in turmoil in your life and you're wondering why. Maybe you need to trust in Romans 8, 28. You need to read that passage this week. Romans 8, 28. I believe that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. 
anything. That means, man, I'm assured that even when I make a stupid decision in life, it could be a major one, God's going to turn it around for good. Okay? Or God can turn it around for good, I should say. He's able to. Okay? Um, he says that he will. Now use, number four, use the situation to trust him even more. And this goes on what Paul is saying. I urge you, brethren, to do what? Pray. Pray more. Maybe God's allowing it to happen for our faith to mature, for our faith to strengthen, for him, for us to cling on to him more, to call out to him more. Number five, demonstrate peace as a witness. Demonstrate peace as a witness. When things don't go to plan, you're testifying of God's love for you at all times. So do you need to demonstrate peace as a witness of Jesus Christ? Since last week, we learned we're all called to be a witness. Let's thank God. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are a God that knows everything. You just don't know everything, but you are also a God that cares for us and so we just want to rejoice in that fact but father once again you know as as people who live in a fallen world we're prone to doubt we're prone to get our focus off you and onto the things that are temporary the things of this world so wherever we're at in the life father this applies to someone in this room or those watching online or listening to recording. May you just grant them the insight they need just to cling on to you more, to trust you more. So we just want to give thanks for what you're doing and through each and every one of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.